Hello and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I am delighted to be joined today by Jonna Parker, the Fresh Foods Team Lead at Circana, which you may have previously known as IRI. Jonna specializes in analyzing sales data, consumer trends, and all sorts of other sources of information to find and explore different opportunities for fresh including, of course, our favorite department on this podcast, which of course is produce. Jonna, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. Thank you so much, Ashley. Since we got to see each other in Chicago, I've been looking forward to this day. Um, So yeah, it is, you know, I can't play favorites, but produce is definitely (laughs) one of my favorite things to talk about for sure. Um, Every department has their nuances. And as I shared at the IFPA Executive Conference, I also think produce probably is one of the biggest opportunities ahead. So excited to chat about it. Excellent. So and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned actually that you're very much into the other departments of the store as well, because I do think, you know, some of the things that we'll talk about is are the opportunities for produce to kind of learn from what's going on in some of these other fresh departments. But we'll start, we'll start by looking at produce because I thought it'd be interesting to compare kind of on this big topic of branding and produce mm-hmm. and starting with a look at how much do brands matter in grocery overall? And how much do they matter in the produce department? You know, the word matter has been an interesting one. The reality of a lot of what we do today in supermarket retailing, and again, if you're a discount grocer, a fruit vendor, even a C-store, it is all grocery marketing, right? Or grocery retailing. And brands is really something that has been commonplace in the grocery store across the aisles. And it, you know, if we really go back to the root of it, why brands became so popular is because it differentiated one product from another. At the root point of brands, we have to get back to that. It is about when two products are next to each other on a shelf or in a display, why this over that? And so brands became a way, if you think about the cereal aisle as a place I always think about brands as you don't, yes, there's some private label, but they even try to make that private label that's unique to that store look like the ODO's version of Cheerios, right? And I think that what brands emerged from in decades, and we're probably on 75 years of brands, and it's even even before that, but really today's branding, consumer packaged goods, marketing strategies started in the 50s. And the concept of a brand there was to differentiate this product from another. This mix of variety, product type, package size, even in some cases, we're synonymous with a brand. And so when you think about it that way, and we bring ourselves that lens into produce, varieties are the brand. So, and I think a good example of this, not to play favorites, but a recent example that I think is is important is you think about avocados from Mexico. Had a Super Bowl ad, I think, for at least the past two big games. And when you think about that, they were marketing themselves as Pepsi or Tide Do, who also had big Super Bowl ads, who are brands, who arguably just sell soda and laundry detergent. But when I say Tide to you, you picture a certain type, just like how avocados from Mexico are a certain type. And I think that's an example of a brand in produce, right? Yes, the place where brands are probably now most thought of by consumers as differentiating one product from another in produce would be in packaged salads. You might have, you know, a blend or a kit from one brand next to another brand, but retailers have also noticed 
it's really about the variety, the package size, the flavors, the dressing, maybe the health claim. We've also seen brands emerge in salads who are organic only. That's another opportunity for branding to differentiate. But you could also just have kale that's organic versus non-organic. And the consumer will say, I'm picking the organic or I'm picking the conventional. Ranting in produce has been a fascinating thing for me because it's interesting to say this is kind of an old timer now, but in the early parts when I was at Perishables Group, we did chat with, you know, when they were coming up with this concept about, hey, we have these mandarins and clementines and we don't really know what to do with them. And we're thinking because the company has also done branding and water and wine and other places. Hey, we're thinking about putting a brand that means something to children, that this is a cute product. It became a halo product. Then it became everyone now feels like in order to sell small citrus, you need a brand in it. But actually, at the end of the day, the root of the cutie story that now is the halo story is about an easy to peel small fruit that personified itself in marketing out of the store and in the store to speak to its target market. So again, the root point of branding, whether it's a location like avocados from Mexico, a variety like Rocket Apples, or a true brand like Cuties Clementines, it is about this product means something to someone and that name personifies it and it's in store and it's out of store. Well, and I'm curious because you mentioned Cuto, Cuties and Halos and other brands that I think your average consumer versus folks like us who are in the industry, of course, other brands and produce folks might know Driscoll's, Dole, Chiquita. I don't know how much further it goes for the average consumer than that. And so I'm curious, what do we know as far as brand loyalty in in produce? What kind of research is there on that? Or or what's our, our scope of knowledge on that? So let's talk about Driscoll's because I absolutely want to give them credit in this podcast. One of the things that we talked about at the recent IFPA exec conference, where Ashley and I last saw each other person, and by the way, hi to everyone I saw there, um, is that when we rank at Circana in our sales data, so that's total dollar sales across U.S. retail, um, which include mass, club, super center, grocery stores, when we rank food and beverage brands, And I'm talking about, you know, Coke, Pepsi, um, Oreo, you know, the brands you guys all are thinking of when I say brand, Nestle. Um, When we rank brands in 2022 at the end of the year, Driscoll's was in the top 10 of total branded product sales across total food and beverage when we include both the perimeter and center of store. And that even surprised our friends at Driscoll's. And one of the interesting things that came out of it is, Both Driscoll's and the other big brand that I talked about at the conference, which is Boar's Head, which by the way, Boar's Head is the number one brand in retail food and beverage in 2022. And what really became interesting about different when you look at the list of the top 25, and not only do Driscoll's and Boar's Head stand out because they're in fresh, they stand out because they don't have 100% store distribution. If you think about brands in other aisles, Every store has Coke. Every store has Breyers ice cream or, or the regional brand versions of it. Every store has Cheerios. And they might have different varieties, package sizes, and certainly price points. But Driscoll's, Boar's Head, and all of Fresh, you don't find the same brand in every store across all states for the design of Fresh, right? 
we're commodity suppliers. And so we supply where we are. The Driscoll story is an important one to talk about because they made that list because berries are an incredibly high selling category across total food and beverage. I cannot stress that enough. Berries at retail has been one of the top fastest growing categories in dollar sales now for as many years as I've been looking at this. And I think the only reason why a lot of people haven't noticed Driscoll's or berries as a category is because often our CPG friends and other aisles sit at different buying desks that our fresh food friends and did our data. And I used to work at Nielsen, but now it's Circana IRI. We didn't produce. It was a let's look at CPG, right? And so we didn't think about brands in fresh. Driscoll's is top 10, though, without being at every store. Because, you know, you think about it, it's the brand recognition. It's the brand recognition synonymous with quality. So one of the things that I think is really important about the story from and this is now, obviously, I don't work for Driscoll's. It's been years since I worked closely with them. But one of the major tactics of both Boar's Head Driscoll's and probably many of our listeners is to partner with the right retailers on the right categories. And because you're not trying to be all things to all people and get the volume out there, you can really cement your brand as being for something. Driscoll's wanted to be synonymous with the finest berries in the world. It's literally their tagline. And if you want to be the finest berries, you should probably distribute at the finest stores and guarantee the finest quality. Boar's Head has that same playbook. Boar's Head has always started out from day one, 20 years ago of their retail strategy, partnering with a few retailers and commanding exclusivity in the deli case. So you're not going to see Boar's Head packaged next to another you know, mainstream brand of deli meat unless Boar's Head can't do that product. You'll see Boar's Head at a Publix or a Kroger next to private label. So it's brand or it's private label. And then they really made sure to protect that brand as it extended outside of the deli case into packaged meats, cheeses, honey hams at Thanksgiving, charcuterie boards, spreads, hummus, dips. They made sure that the products, the variety, the quality, the consumer they were after is that boar's head consumer. They, again, weren't trying to be all things to all people. So going back all the way around to your question, branding in perimeter is about who and what do we stand for? If you're really going to differentiate on brand, not just variety, it really has to be everything that you do from which retailers you partner with to the types of products you put on the shelf anchored on that core consumer. And that's where I really think the takeaway is different than maybe, let's say, a Pepsi. Pepsi brands differently when it's their lemon lime soda. They brand differently when it's their diet soda. They brand differently as they've gotten into water, energy drinks. And now obviously Pepsi also owns Frito-Lay. And you think about Doritos doesn't have the same brand as Fritos as Lay's. Those are brands to stand out. I actually think in produce, you could be a variety that stands out. Think about the Honeycrisp story of a few years ago. The answer to that wasn't to come up with a zillion different varieties of apples. It was to say, what does this variety mean or this, quote, brand mean? Who is it after and what stores should I be in? Because if you have your distribution right, you have that target consumer in everything you do. Driscoll's has proven, Boar's Head has proven, you will sell more than the guys who are on every shelf. That's, I think, the playbook we should consider. And why do you think produce often, or or 
maybe this is a, maybe this is the wrong conclusion, but (laughs) why do you think produce sometimes perhaps falls short? Cause I I do think sometimes there's a lot of, well, we want to be everywhere. We want to reach everyone, which, which is a harder strategy to execute almost than, uh, than saying, no, this is who I'm about specifically. Yeah. You know, we got to be honest. I was on a call earlier today with one of my partners in innovation and we were talking about a project for another fresh food. And I said, well, you know, my clients really don't have as much innovation roadmaps and all the stage gate process to launch new items that big CPGs have. And he laughed and he goes, I just got off the phone with a multi-million dollar CPG. And guess what? They don't either. They let their brand managers decide what to put out half the time. So I'm being overly generalistic. But what I wanted to say to answer your question was we used to think in produce that we weren't like CPG. I mean, when we started the Perishables Group, we started it with the intention of being separate from CPG. I still bristle when people call our macro group I report into at Circana the CPG group. But fresh foods are packaged goods. And even if it's bulk, they're consumer goods sold at the same stores as Pepsi and Coke and, and you know, Rice Aroni. And I guess what's What's been different about produce is first off, every brand marketer's playbook is to try to get as much sales and market share as possible. So let's be honest. And then I think we have the double whammy in food that is grown versus manufactured that we're at the mercy of trying to sell our whole field in this case or our whole supply. I work a lot in the meat industry. And you know what we're talking about right now is just like we talk about in produce, next year is going to be an upside down market for heads of cattle and you know we're going to be oversupplied in chicken. And that does drive. If you have more supply, right, you got to figure out where to get demand. But what's changing is society. There is not a situation in the rest of our world, I argue, where there isn't choice that's personalized. We all have smartphones But I might have an Apple 13 and someone else might have an Apple 14 Pro and someone else might have a flip phone. So we all have cell phones, just like we all eat produce. But that industry, cars, tablets, clothing, we live in a personalized world now where we don't we aren't marketed in the same way. We don't expect the same choices for everyone. That's the biggest difference, let's say. Remember, I started this by saying our current way to sell groceries really started in the 50s and 60s. That's obviously the first time we mass marketed things to many. And you could have the same thing in California that you could have in New York City and in the middle of Iowa. Well, now fast forward and we're back to where each market, each person can go on Amazon or go on the browser of their choice and get a television show aimed at what they're like before, or get a product that's based on curated from thousands of people who bought similar products, have our social media pages feed us things based on what we've purchased in the past or liked in our popular culture. All of that means that when a consumer walks in the grocery store, they want variety. And if that consumer is under the age of 40, They absolutely have only known a world where they've had choice in every other aspect of their lives. And they know that they drink different soda and wear different clothes than their friends. But then they get to the produce department and they're all given the same things as their grandma and their mom. It's really why personalization is an expectation today 
And one of the last places that we're realizing that is in fresh foods because we've always just tried to sell our whole field. So I think to end it around though, why we are actually more powerful and fresh than maybe when we're trying to get people to eat more or drink more soda or buy more laundry detergent, where we have to use brands to differentiate, there's already a built-in demand in produce, especially among the younger generation who, by the way, believes they are less healthy than we did at their same age. So they want to buy fruits and vegetables. They want to consume more of them. We just haven't shown them what makes sense for them and personalized it because we're trying to sell our whole batch without really giving reason and need and brand. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure another maybe challenge for brands and produce too is is seasonality because you you have some some organizations that are large and they source from different places around the country and around the world. And so you could have a consistent brand but for a lot of smaller growers or smaller organizations, it may be a seasonal business or somebody may see your brand in this category at this time of year. And maybe it's over here at a different time of year, or maybe it's missing for a few months. And so I'm curious, at how have we seen that develop or or how big of a challenge is that to navigate for brands and produce, both on the supply side and on the retail side too? Call me a Pollyanna or somebody always looks on the bright side, but I argue that seasonality and limited time is our superpower in produce. One of the things that really struck me as I was preparing for the recent talk was how stone fruits, melons, and cherries over the last five years have either delivered the department or the fruit aisles growth or been the reason it declined. And it's been this yin and yang. And I'm talking total US dollar and volume consumption. Certainly every retailer is probably seeing wanes and losses and betting big or under betting big based on seasonality of those crops who are, I'm just using as the poster children of seasonality. And when I took a step back and we talked, you know, that talk was in the first week of June. So I was in Arizona and then I flew to Chicago and in between I had to go to New York and I'd happened to stop at grocery stores on the way just to feed myself. Every store I was in had cherries and had a big front of the pack display in because I was like, oh good, it's a good year for cherries. It's a little late for the season, but everyone's got cherries. When everyone has cherries, who really has cherries? Why would I go? Now, granted, I was in three different cities, but I went to vastly different retail formats in each of the cities. If everyone had cherries front of the display, and I'll say that the price points were within 50 cents of each other. If I was still just in Phoenix, why would I go to, if the mass merchandiser is cherries front of pack for 50 cents, and they look like the same bag of PLU cherries that are then at my big high-end specialty retailer or my everyday grocer, how are cherries different? Why are cherries, which were front of advertising, big store display, we have cherries, cherries are in season. If everyone's doing that, that's how we've done seasonal produce. But now let's take a page out of what a CPG big brand would do with cherries, just still PLU cherries. Let's say there's parts of crops or fields that were better, have a different seed variety or could package slightly differently, maybe a snacking cherry group, or I'm just making up things with cherries here. Let's take plums even as another example. But again, there's varietal differences we know in these trees and in these fields and from these products. Rainier obviously does, you know, a higher tier cherry that's now, by the way, in every store too. But now imagine we've packaged them different. We've molded them different. Let's say we knew two weeks before they were shipping that this 
amazing cherry that was only going to be at Jana's in Ashley's grocery store was coming. Why couldn't I start a social media campaign that had nothing to do with price? Why couldn't I say fresh from the field, we're going to get these cherries in. You got to come to my store because I'm the only one that has this seed variety of cherry. That's the difference. That seasonality is a superpower. The playbook is here. It happens all the time in restaurants. The concept of limited time offer, LTO is what it's called in the food service industry. The, hey, I've got a turkey burger on the menu in November, you know, with stuffing as the topping. Come to me because I'm only going to have this for four weeks. Now, all of a sudden, other places are turkey burgers, but I've driven a unique recipe of turkey burger and you got to get it right now. That is the seasonal superpower of produce. Everyone is stocking the same varieties and PLUs and packages now. How do you make your variety or your store stand out by using that gotta get it now, better come get it while it's fresh? The last story I'll tell on that is years ago, I happened to be in Iowa and I also do a lot of work in fresh bakery. And I was walking through a high V. They have an amazing fresh bakery. My friend, Henry Roarink was like, you got to stop at the high V. You got to take a detour in your middle of nowhere, Iowa and stop at this high V. I walked into the high V ready to be blown away by their bakery. And I could tell by the fixtures that everything was gorgeous. Their bread program was beautiful, but the prime real estate at the very front of that perimeter bakery was Reese's with a huge sign that said fresh from the factory buy a box of Reese's peanut butter cups. We seeded the prime real estate for a fresh from the factory to someone who had to invent a reason. And we could have had, you know, think about that in produce, fresh from the field, only here for two weeks, a sign that goes up two weeks in advance or a month in advance that says, and by the way, don't underestimate the power of social media. Imagine if you're getting a new crop in from, you know, X, Y, Z, those stories sell food. Those stories are only in produce. And I know we've done an amazing job talking about local and transparency as an industry and that there's obviously big macro dollars that have to go into this, but the stories that consumers want to hear about are from us. We just have to think about how we tell them. That, uh, Man, and not just being not just being a, a proponent of fresh, which of course in this industry we very much are, but the story about the Reese's, man, that makes me think too. You're using this real estate to promote something on which your margin is probably a whole lot thinner than whatever is coming from whatever fresh department you could put there instead. We could definitely say that, and you're right. And that was my reaction. And I've used that example a lot, and we have that debate. The reason though is Hershey's paid them some good money to have that real estate. So they've got that money coming in as opposed to the margin necessarily. And we are in such a prime position. Again, we have seasonality. Most categories don't. You know, the biggest thing we're talking about right now is the grilling season is here. And our recent survey work has shown that there's about 40% of the populace that has either upskilled their own grilling techniques or invested in a better patio or a better grill or a better smoker. And we were just having a great chat yesterday about it. And all of those things should make us think we're going to have an amazing year in 
meat and produce, which go on the grill. Yeah, you can argue there's some frozen burgers and some potato chips and some buns, but it's about meat and then it's about produce. And we have seen some, Emery was showing with me some really fantastic pictures of, you know, grill ready vegetables and stickers from her travels. But here's the reality when we started talking to our retail partners about get ready for grilling season, which by the way, they started buying the commodities last fall for now, thinking about the commodity markets only. Given inflation, given that that's coloring 96% of concern among American consumers, that's in their mindset before they choose where to shop. So you might have the most beautiful zucchini with a sticker on it in that corner of your wet rack that says, grill me. What if someone never walked in your door because they went to an Aldi or a Walmart because they were trying to save money on other things? What even made them want to go to your store when they are having people over? We also know that this summer, because of the inflation and economy, we've seen three consecutive years this year also of people entertaining at home and choosing to entertain at home outdoors instead of going out because, again, they've invested in things and they really like doing it and it's a better value. So here's all these people going to backyard barbecues and swim parties and game nights. Why aren't there produce ready options for them to take? Mm -hmm. And one of the insights that I've seen where consumers are already voting with their dollars, by the way, we see incredible growth rates, even despite inflation in mixed vegetable side dish ready options already prepackaged in the value add section. And we also have seen amazing year so far year to date versus last year in produce, fruit and veg party trays. By the way, I'll tell you that in the Meat and deli area, we're also seeing really strong strength in their party tray business also. And by the way, we're talking about party trays for me and you and a couple of our friends. We're not talking about a 50-person catering gathering. <laughs> so that's the only option we're giving people, though, right? Think about how a lote is having a moment with this corn product that is you know, so popular right now and, and on so many menus and it's corn-based and a new way to do corn. Think about how Katui Pepe and all these other taste trends are having moments and produce isn't part of it. We're kind of just coming along with it. And then consumers are showing us they care, they want to cook more, they want to grill more, they want to entertain more. How could we be ready for what they want to do? Because the reality is already looking at some of the June numbers, a lot of retailers are soft. I heard Memorial Day, promotions and both meat and produce didn't drive the lifts that they had seen, even with discounts now being offered. And it goes back to other than price, why should someone come to you? And I think that's as we get settled the dust on the summer of 23, which is arguably the first season we've had that wasn't disrupted by COVID or initial inflationary shock. We're going to look back and say, consumers wanted to shop more and they wanted to entertain more and they wanted to eat more produce but we didn't capture our fair share. And the answer to that is going to be where the future lies. Well, and one more on, on branding and produce, yeah. you mentioned items in the, the fresh cut or value added section. And I'm curious, what kind of role can that play in? And maybe that's not, you know, branding from a supplier, but branding within the produce department for a retailer, I thought maybe that assortment is a differentiator. You know, what? where do you see that kind of fitting into that, that produce branding picture? You're spot on. And I just came off before I went to the retail conference for produce. I was at the Dairy Deli Bakery Conference. And again, I'll say for the context of this conversation, a brand can be a variety, a positioning, a packaging, a seasonal. 
One of the things that we've seen be incredibly successful, and some of these are produce companies, some, some of these products end up in produce, some end up in deli. I'm not here to say what department they're in, but they are trays of varying sizes with varying inclusion. So maybe some are on the sweeter side, some are on the salty side, some are all fruits and vegetables, some are mixing in protein, mixing in cheese. But the thing that's changed in the last year that's gotten some real excitement, and you could call it branding, let's call it situationing. So branding that tray as game time or pool party, or just even changing out the colors with the seasons. We work in perishables, which means the shelf life on these things will probably expire before that isn't a relevant season anymore, right? So why not have literally the front of pack be red, white, and blue for all of June? Someone walks by there and goes, oh, I am having a 4th of July party. I want to be patriotic. That's the kind of branding playbook. And I also think that's where uniqueness can happen. And then the other piece with uniqueness is on how do we make it stand out and make it different? Every retailer now, even some convenience stores have, um, you know, these snacking trays, these party trays. Um, Oprah just posted this really fun Instagram last night about how her chef, again, it's Oprah. So her chef had created a charcuterie buffet. And honestly, a lot of it was produce and bread. And I was like, but it's beautiful and it was different. Think about how a brand of a celebration or value add side dish can be, we're the only people who are putting mango in it, or we've got a tropical version, or we've got you know, something, there's already been a lot of that innovation. And I think the thing we brought to meal making in the value add space, what we've learned a lot, whether it be in frozen or fresh, is if you really stand out as this is the occasion situation meal to have this with, We've seen a lot right with lettuce wraps being marketed right with the chicken. And now it's, you know, replicating this Asian P.F. Chang style high end meal at home. If I just said, here's single leaf lettuce without giving you that connection point of what we're replicating, that is a brand then. You've branded it now as a chicken lettuce wrap. You've branded it as for this occasion. And same thing, I think. We think about branding as why Zoom over Teams to laugh about how we were trying to log in here, right? <laughs> Those are two brands of software services. When it comes to fresh and produce, branding is infinite, but it's really about meaning something where a consumer looks at it and goes, that's different. And I think too often we get too caught into the, well, I have a tray that folds on the front versus on the back. It's like, let's really jump out and stand for something. And I think that can really cut through the clutter. Well, and to your point, Jonna. I love that you you describe this this broader definition of brands because maybe a good way to you know kind of put a bow on it is well I'm going to go this place instead of that place because this product is slightly different than what I could get anywhere else right they have this particular mix of the fresh cut fruit mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of fruit you know I don't know the suppliers that that fruit is from I just know that I can only get this pack at this retailer right? Or I know I can only get this package size of my favorite cherry tomatoes at this retailer. I may, maybe the person doesn't know even what brand it is, but this is what it looks like. These are the ones I like the best. The bigger size where I get the better value is over here. Exactly. And value you think about, there's two tiers to branding and grocery. There's the store. And what does the store mean? And we were talking yesterday, Anna Marie and I, about 
how stores have really taken to doing big billboard mass advertising. And one of the biggest things I always say too, is you can't just say fresh. We have the freshest because everyone says that. Aldi says that now, right? Yeah. And so grocery, I mean, I'm convenience stores, Bucky's just open and they're touting freshness right in Tennessee. So, (laughs) but I think it is really the store is the first brand, right? What is, if you say the word Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Aldi and Walmart to someone, they think four very different things before I ever say produce or value added fruit, right? So what is the brand of the store? And what does that store mean? And increasingly, you know, we see with the current discussion about potentially Kroger and Albertsons consolidating, it used to be you could have five grocers who meant different things. And now it's like there's a grocery that means something and other channels that mean something. So what is the brand of the store? That'll help first connect then should my product belong or my brand or my variety belong in that because it connects to the brand of the store. And then once you get in the store, what is the produce brand? How did that extend to the department? I think so often I see a hodgepodge in the perimeter where the meat's trying to be one thing and the produce is trying to be something else. I saw it recently and I was analyzing some data from a major Southeast regional grocer who just absolutely crushes it in converting shoppers to deli in their stores. But then their meat department, especially in their packaged branded meat, was not doing so well. And I was like, I wonder if because they've so crushed it in Delhi, they didn't extend that halo because everyone has packaged meat, right? But it was a good example of where it's the store. Then does each department deliver on that store message? And then what's really important for our you know, grower, shipper, and brands, how do they further extend that story? And one of the things I'd say recently that I think has done a nice job on that is Fresh Bakery. You know, Walmart's fresh perimeter bakery actually is very different from Aldi's, very different from a traditional grocer's. And all three are very different. And I'd say Walmart actually extends their fresh bakery image, their image of overall value and overall extension shelf life to their bakery. But where they did it slightly differently is they then offer within certain categories things you can only find there that are still their items, right? They also do partner with brands like several years ago, there was an outage on Patty LaBelle fresh pies at Thanksgiving because they partnered with her. She did a big push for it. They were an exclusive and it sold out and they still have a line of pies you can only get at Walmart. Here is this mega store, which was known as value, taking an exclusivity play into their fresh bakery right? That's a good example. I know I've been kind of all over the place in this, but I just want to bring that up because I think produce has become very same old, same old. It does often connect to the overall store's mission, but then what can you do as a supplier to grow or shipper, whether it's exclusive or even just a regional first to market, how are you telling that story? Going back to the cherries, how do you build excitement and exclusivity when everyone has everything? brands, i.e. varieties, i.e. package sizes, that's where we have to deliver it. Well, and going back to something you said earlier, Jonna, about how some of these these best-in-class fresh brands are actually choosy about who they work with. And so I wondered for our retail listeners, what should retailers do to really attract some of these really excellent brands that people can go to because they say, oh, I know they have Driscoll's here. I know they have Boar's Head here. And a couple of things that jumped to my mind to just kind of start the ball rolling, and these are little little things maybe, but came to my mind. Um, it's funny you mentioned Hy-Vee earlier because at, at the store near me, 
one of the things that they position around in their produce is, is they have these signs that say we're picky about our produce. And then they have seven or eight brands of different suppliers that they work with. Another thing that comes to mind is Sprouts on its LinkedIn page will share pictures of, you know, the, the family tree farms or the, the big promotions they're doing and the huge displays that their teams are building for different, you know, specific supplier, um, general unique, you know, exciting seasonal products. And I thought, man, well, that opportunity for partnership certainly would, you know, perhaps be one attribute. But what are some others you think as far as for retailers to set themselves apart for those picky brands be like, yep, we're definitely working with them. I think both of those retailers really are a great example of where everything we do when you walk, when you think about Sprouts, which I should say health and specialty markets had a really rough 2020, 2021, right? I mean, when our purchase patterns were disrupted, you didn't go to five places in 2020. And so who won that year was the people who had everything. And by the way, didn't have a ton of everything. But other than that blip year where, yes, your corner store, grocery store, supermarket did better than it had been doing, we've given all of that back and people are back to deciding where they're going based on a couple different factors. And Sprouts and hy V are two examples where they make a commitment, Sprouts from a Freshest. We're basically a farmer's market. They like call themselves Sprouts Farmer's Market, right? So they have to give that big display, things you only find there. That's part of their name. So I'm so glad I agree with you. I actually find in some cases, some of the stuff they have isn't that special. <laughs> so, but I'm glad like that kind of program, if you're the kind of brand who doesn't have a huge crop, you should be partnering with a retailer like that because it draws the type of consumer that you're looking for. And then on the high V point, they have been incredibly picky. And, you know, many other grocers have tried to use that campaign, but high V, I think you're right, is carrying it through and thinking about it. HEB does the same thing. And I should note, whenever I run the metric of shopper conversion within certain fresh departments, shopper meaning I shop for anything, but I buy produce or meat or processed or high V, HEB, Publix, those guys really giant eagle a lot of times do really well. So it's converting. But now let's take into account that you've got a big crop to sell for your brand or your variety, and you need to go into as many mounts as possible. And it's also taken into account if you're one of the many thousands of other stores out there who isn't in a specific region trying to just reach this farmer's market target. The reality in that is the playbook is, let's take again the boar's head example. Even though they are partnered with Kroger and several in Publix, they're not in every store, or at least they don't give the full display to every store. This again, need to personalize. You think about what is in front of everyone is you can't be successful, maybe just selling to one small chain, right? And so everyone has a bigger challenge. Even hy V has some stores that are smaller than others, right? But I really think one of the things that is taken over, and I think it should still continue to be considered, is it's not about broad distribution or perfect distribution. It's about segmenting your stores to offer certain things in certain areas. If you talk to people in Florida, they've noticed that Publix sometimes carries only certain brands of soda in this store versus that store. Sometimes they message about that because they've worked with the CPG soda partner or shelf-stable meats partner, whoever CPG might be to say, hey, we know this store is a better fit for these varieties. And if you're looking for something, you can either go online or go to a different store. 
this all things to all people in all stores is going to be where we lose it. And you can tell it already in the data. And for the last 20 years, when you squeeze the middle, when you start to differentiate and you squeeze the middle, it's the middle that falls out. That said, though, one thing I guess I just have to plug, and honestly, because I think the most underused piece of data right now, and I said this also at the produce conference, yes, should you be buying point of sale and shopper behavior and tracking things 52 weeks a year? Sure. But if I could spend, if I was sitting in where many of our listeners' seats are, especially the grower shipper, the one project I would do, and by the way, we've done this with some specialty produce companies, is I would take my variety or my product, whatever it is that I'm selling, and I would find, we basically have a tool that matches based on who shops at the household level, every store and every chain, even those that don't report to Circana IRI. And we can tell you where who is most likely to buy your product is shopping. And then you can take that into the retailer. And I think retailers should be open to working with suppliers to segment their stores, to create these exclusive pods of things. And then when you do that, just like you described at High V, I I feel like that store should say, we're the only, even the only Kroger that's selling this. We've picked this for you. It's local then, it's personalized. It's honestly the shopping experience that consumers expect and we have the data to give it to them. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned that store segmentation too, because I think a lot of times folks you know, might think of, of their stores in terms of, well, we have our high volume stores, we have our low volume stores, we have kind of the ones in the How middle, many square right? feet. <laughs> yeah. But as you mentioned, the purchasing patterns across different categories are really the key to kind of unlocking, like you said, tailoring that assortment on a store by store level. And I can only imagine that can get complex pretty quickly. So certainly, you know, you want to have a few uh, a few categories or a few things in mind to kind of um, make decisions based on or, or tailor assortment according to to those those targets, right? But that's such a great point that not just being picky about you know the retailers in general that that these brands might work with, but hey, you you don't need all however many SKUs in all of your stores. Yeah, you might want 20 SKUs of our bag salad in this store, but you probably only need six or 10 in, in this other one, right? Absolutely. And it is, I think now most retailers I've talked to, I mean, even, you know, take the tomato category and, and I shouldn't leave a conversation about branding and varietal differentiation and not speak about what Nature Suite has done over the last 20 years. You think about how they brand glories versus constellation versus you know, uh, cherubs and how that originates in the use of the tomato. And then they differentiate with the color of the tomato. We've trained consumers to shop for tomatoes that way. If anything, I would say, and I haven't, you know, I, I don't work as closely directly with them. We've talked over the years, but, you know, now I cringe when I see a, a recipe on TikTok, like that famous feta mini tomato. And they were just like, buy any mini tomatoes. I was like, work as well with any mini tomatoes, right? Like, but that's a great example of a produce category where the one category of tomatoes have so many different uses. And going back to your point about stores, there is also, you know, again, most, I can't think of a, a grocer now that doesn't mine their own data or work, especially a larger one that doesn't know store segmentation, but connecting that to produce, I think is often a guess. Hey, this is a high income, high volume store. Let's blow produce out and just have everything that's expensive. Not necessarily, right? There are everyday commodities and value and product 
in the tomato category that you want to make sure you stock, but then that could be a place to try an exclusive variety or a a specific piece that again, you got to message it. You can't expect that person to see it. You could use your social media to talk about now in the main street store, we're trying out this new tomato, come check it out, right? That type of connecting your broad segmentation that I think all retailers have with working with the supplier grower shipper like NatureSuite has done about here's some different types of tomatoes, which ones make the most sense We have that ability now in a very syndicated, i.e. cheap way to do. And it's amazing. Again, the foundations that go through our data now for point of sale and produce is exactly the same, not just a CPG. A lot of the foundational building blocks are what Facebook and Instagram and TikTok use to deliver their media. They're also the same kind of foundational building blocks that credit card companies use to decide customized offers for people. All that same ability to harness personalization is available in this industry and it's not very expensive. So again, I go back to all, if we would have talked even five years ago, Ashley, I would have been like, wouldn't it be great if we can do it now? I think it's just about both the retailer and the supplier recognizing and testing and learning together. You know, the innovations we've talked about today, whether it be the cuties, clementines, the nature sweet tomatoes, and even boar's head didn't happen perfectly overnight. It was really a test and learn environment where we got a few retailers and a few stores to do something differently. And then we blew it out once we knew what worked. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned nature sweet because and actually, it was probably you who gave me this data back on my my trade media days. I was writing something about the tomato category because I was curious. Okay, cherry tomatoes, grape tomatoes, Roma tomatoes. Cherubs had their own split, even in kind of the generic data, a, a brand it, with, within that. Because I, I remember seeing like, and I was surprised, but it was because it was such a large segment so so maybe that belongs with our our brands that that people other than you know us in the industry would recognize as well (laughs) yeah I gotta be careful there because one of the things we so one quick piece is that when I got into this seat so I took over we invented kind of the role of fresh foods team lead in 2018 a little bit of background on data I started a perishables group separate company got bought by Nielsen went off worked with supplier for a while at that same time fresh look was then acquired by IRI. And so when I started this role, one of the things I found was, I'll use this example because Seth from Idaho knows it, like they were still calling a segment of potatoes Idaho and it's kind of a brand, right? And so one of the things we did do is we did extensive research in produce, bakery, deli, meat, seafood. It's why how we started working with IFPA is in launched in 2020, we actually researched what is the average retailer's hierarchy look like grouped that up against what kinds of consumer purchase patterns we knew. And so I think we do still have a segment that I know we have a segment we call cocktail, which is where the Camparis and the midsize live like that. But we did end up not making it a brand, right? Because there are other brands of tomatoes that sell a similar tomato. But where I'm going with it is we, when we did that research, we really realized that A, there's sameness in the assortment across different retailers. B, retailer hierarchies in some cases were awful. There's a couple major retailers who have a break in their hierarchy of how they look at their own data called truck-loaded produce. And it's like, what is that? How would you explain that to someone, right? So where I'm going is we found that no one was doing it right. But what we couldn't end up doing, and then there was this debate, right? If you look at CPG data, 
brands and subcategories are different. But in produce, you had, you know, one would argue, is this the Kleenex category or is it the tissue category, right? Like that was what was happening in produce. Cherubs invented a subcategory. So where I'm going with this all is we've been through that. We have a pretty good sense now on what's available. But I think the next page in the playbook is really about what they would call in CPG market structures and consumer decision trees. What products should be merchandised together? What products should be in these top tier stores? And because we each grow our own commodity, right? We're not thinking about the total category or consumer situation. And again, I bring up tomatoes because it all started with what is the use? Cherries, grapes, field, TOVs, they all have different uses, right? And yet consumers were buying what was cheap, what was, we're only selling on price. That story has now carried over to eggs. It's carried over into grapes. It's carried over into milk where these different tiers and varieties based on use. That's the next page of the playbook we're going to work on as an industry. And I think, you know, to bring this kind of to a close, whether it's brands, varieties, package sizes, seeing produce from the consumer lens, I can't imagine what the next cool innovation is going to be once we do that. Back in the studio, one more thank you to Jonna for the great conversation today. And of course, a thank you to you, our listeners as well. We so appreciate you joining us. And one more thing before you go, we'll ask if you are learning from or otherwise enjoying this podcast, please do go ahead and rate and review. That support helps me keep it rolling and continue to bring you insight from some of these just excellent and super knowledgeable people throughout the industry. So thank you again as always, and we look forward to seeing you next week on the Produce Retail Podcast.